Um, all right, ladies and gents, Mr. Matt Tong here with me. <laughs> you, I presume you're right out of the shower. I mean, your hair looks kind of... It's pretty wet. My hair's pretty damp right now. Yeah, I just, I just got out of the shower. Um, <laughs> all right, that's... I, I just came back from work. So, you know, we're in on the complete kind of opposite spectrums of the day. <laughs> yeah. Fucking amazing. Um, so, yeah, still just uh, that morning. How you been? Why are you... Um, I've been all right. I mean, I don't know. Oh, Jesus, look at this. Look at this amateur setup here. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm all right. I, you know, I, I think as with most people, uh, kind of thoroughly hacked off with the whole, the whole situation and, you know, the, the ineptitude that seems to, you know, the ineptitude that seems to follow any attempt to like take any leadership over this situation. But, um, I'm very lucky, you know, it hasn't really affected me too much in terms of my day-to-day -day life, other, other than the fact I don't get to tour and, and whatnot, but, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's probably one more winter of this, and then, uh, and then we can get back to our, our regular lives, and hopefully we'll all be a bit more wise and, uh, you know, a bit more reflective uh, as a result. How are you? Um, How are things over there, man? I have no idea, actually. You know, there, there's a. There, I mean, we're in a weird kind of headspace and, and place just in general right now, because I mean, we we had it at least in in Pula where I'm based at right now. Um, we we had it pretty good up until mid October, in a right. sense that the 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 Istrian region was probably at some point. I believe. Don't quote me on this, but if I I, I hope I remember this correctly. Um, we were the, the only region that was green-lighted in, in the world at some point. Um, we, we, we just sort of had it really, really, we, we, we had just, I mean, in general, generally speaking, we had it great up until October. And I believe that we're just sort of starting to feel what it's actually like, you know, to have the, the numbers rise up rapidly and, you know. Yeah, it must be. It must be strange for you guys because you know I, I periodically I check in and see how this, this you know the statistics are looking in different parts of the world and it, yeah it kind of seems like generally the Balkans ha haven't been hit particularly hard so it must be weird knowing that you've got to kind of act and behave in a certain way but like you don't actually really see the results of uh, in any of what's been, been yeah, going on we, we, yeah we it's kind of a weird uh, shadow line we had the 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 you know the March lockdown back when it when it when it this whole thing started. But we sort of didn't have to, I mean, we, we certainly had to, you know, wear masks and watch ourselves, but we didn't actually understand that. I, I mean, it wasn't kind of like this existential kind of question in, in, a, in a weird sense, because there weren't, it, it seemed like this very distant kind of like, you know, far off thing. It's something which others are being affected by and kind of right. by. And right it now we're- yeah, we're right now dealing with the fact that, you know, it's getting closer and closer. People were in close contact with, have contracted the virus at some point, And we're very, sure. it, it's strange. It's strange. Yeah, it must, it must feel like you kind of, you've woken up from like a weird, unsettling dream and you can't quite remember what it is, but you have some sense of the quality of that dream, but it, it, it's just not tangible enough. It must be a real, a really strange feeling. I mean... You know, I'm in New York, so like the epicenter of the the initial outbreak in, in back in March, and 
you know, for what it's worth, it kind of, it almost felt like a similar thing because, you know, like, yeah, suddenly you're, in, and I, I got the COVID and I, I was sick in April. I had it. But, and so I, I was so paranoid about leaving the house and getting anyone else ill. I, I didn't do anything for a month, but like, you know, I think regardless of whether it's like affected your area directly or if you're actually right in the middle of it, like you're essentially experiencing the world like second or third hand because it's either not there or you're like, you're trying to avoid it from being kind of like there on your doorstep, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had this deal that we made when, you know, the numbers first started rising rapidly. Uh, Me and like a couple of close kind of coworkers, we, we had this, deal that like we're not going to we're going to mingle but we're not going to mingle too much to you know prevent ourselves from getting it because we're in very kind of close you know vicinity from each other this and that and we see each other daily at work and stuff so we decided you know to to cool off with the with the social kind of theatrics right now it just doesn't feel yeah it feels very irresponsible to do anything well, outdoor stuff is fine so long as the weather kind of holds up. I guess it doesn't get too cold where you are in the winter, right? No, no, not really. This this winter has been, I mean, so far, we're not really, we're, we're just sort of entering winter right now. It, it's it's kind of mild. I mean, it, it usually is. I mean, so, you know, it's cool. We can go essentially, yeah. But, um, so, so talk to me more about this. Like, how are you seeing the world right now from your perspective just to put it kind of bluntly what's been going on lately with you in terms of like what's going on um well you know if we're talking in relation to like the the pandemic and 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 whatnot uh you know i'm i'm pretty disappointed but like uh, i think i would be anyway like you know there would be something else i would be disappointed with if this wasn't wasn't happening and you know uh as a resident of the US, uh, you know, now that we've gotten rid of Trump, my, you know, for me, at least my focus is shifting more to like, well, what can we, what can we do to sort of like, uh, you know, protect ourselves against like Biden's sort of, you know, neoliberal agenda. Um, that said, it seems like he's kind of uh, putting, uh, he's putting kind of slightly more progressive politicians into his cabinet. So I think he's maybe listening to people around. I know it's just weird to think that we might have a president here now who actually listens to his advices <laughs> and, and, and so forth. But, you know, I mean, otherwise for me personally, like, just cause you know, I haven't been traveling and I, I feel like I shouldn't be traveling. Uh, you know, my, my focus has shifted a lot more, uh, uh, you know, it's become a lot more localized, and uh, you know, I think for the first time, like I'm facing a, a prolonged period of time at home for you know the first time like 15 years or something. So like I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm a lot more. I'm, I'm literally like balancing this on a reverb pedal um, right right now. So um, I, uh, I I I can't. My my laptop is like. Uh, my laptop, I can't update my laptop because it's like 13 years old or something. No, it's, it's like 10 years old, but if I update it, then none of my uh, music software will work on that anymore. So uh, I'm doing this all on my phone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've shifted much more to like kind of, a, you know, 
I'm thinking a lot more about how this has been affecting my my immediate community, and I've become a lot more involved with you know people, you know, uh, activists and and you know whatever people who, who actually live in in my area, you know, Queens, New York, um, and uh, I haven't really had the opportunity to to think about what it's like to actually you know be feet on the ground because uh, I I have been touring and so engaged in just like trying to eke out a living as as a musician and as an extension to that you know I'm, I'm much more interested now in the you know the broken records movement which is spearheaded by um a musician in the uk called tom gray who uh played in a band called gomez who were quite successful you know 20 years ago and he's now a director of prs but like i think for the first time really like musicians are thinking about what it actually means to be competing for like this rapidly diminishing slice of the pie. And I think, I think there's been this, you know, there's been this reckoning where everyone is saying, well, what, why the fuck am I touring so much? Like, why is it that that's the only way I can make a living from music? Like, you know, things are like, like systemically within the music industry that, that there's so much inequity <clears throat> and it's gone on for like 60 years. And like, you know, maybe musicians were kind of, remunerated uh, more back in the day, but, uh, you know, there's an outdated music industry model that is now being applied to like the streaming paradigm and it, it doesn't work, you know? So this is really, these are things that I'm thinking about and this is kind of how I've, I've sort of been engaging with the world uh, you know, in the last few months. I got very disappointed actually. Um, I, I think this was back in July. I saw kind of like a press run that you know, the CEO of Spotify did, did and, he, and he said something along the lines that musicians shouldn't, you know, rely on this two to three year album release cycles if they wish to make more money from streaming services, which basically just puts, you know, the quantity aspect of it in, 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 in the forefront. And I was very, I, I remember that made me very, angry because like it just you know given the situation that you know the absence of touring and this and that you just have yeah rely on sales i mean first and foremost daniel Eck is a technocrat and like a very 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 distant second he's a music fan and i you know he certainly he he doesn't really know what it he, he could never know what it's like to actually try to be a working musician and you know that's not me or other musicians complaining about our lot in life. You know, the, I made a decision to try and be a musician and like by and large, I've been, you know, reasonably successful and I'm very lucky to still be making a living from it, but it's, it's still a job. It's a job like any other job ultimately. And, you know, I think with, you know, people talking a lot more about what it is to perform emotional labor for other people and, you know, music and other forms of art definitely falls into that category. And it, it, it's labor, you know, it, it's, and it, it can be quite hard work. It's can be fun, but it's also quite difficult. But like, I, I just don't think, I don't think the CEOs of, of Spotify really understand. I think A, they don't really understand how money works anyway, because they have so much of it. And I think, you know, when suddenly you, you know, you're worth like billions and billions of dollars or whatever, like, I think you're so, it must do something to your brain anyway. Like you must be so far removed and detached from the reality of everyone else's lives that you couldn't possibly, how could you understand or empathize? Um, 
it's hard enough in the recording industry as it is, you know, the number of people who work at record companies who maybe kind of high up or like A&R people who have actually never been on tour even for like a week with a band and have no idea how that actually works and what you have to do every day in order to, you know, get to the next place to, you know, maintain your equipment, make sure everyone's happy, get on stage, actually play the show, get, you know, it's, you know, we're already up against that in the industry, that, that culture of not really understanding how everyone else is. And, you know, by the same token, I don't really know how an A&R person does their job or, or, or you know, or someone who works in marketing or, you know, a publicist, like, you know, they're, they're really important jobs that, you know, I can't exist about those people either, but, you know, there's this mutual like lack of understanding and maybe kind of a lack of empathy that, that comes along with that. And, you know, so I, I certainly don't, ex it's disappointing. I don't expect like a tech bro, uh, a successful tech bro to really ever, ever have a sense of what art is and like how, you know, commerce should like relate to that, that art, you know? Um, and it, Daniel X wet dream is like AI generated music becomes so uh, advanced and people become so like, you know, uh, numb or, or, or kind of just, uh, indifferent to the idea of actual people making art full stop you know like if you just had computers making music and just like continually adding content and content to spotify he'd be happy it cuts out the middleman which is like you know the musician and kind of the record companies whatever did those views i mean i'm always interested you know to talk to creatives about this especially again given the pandemic and this and that um i had certainly found that since March, my kind of creative, generally, my creative output became much more darker. It has this sort of kind of dready-esque undertone. Um, I'm curious to know, has that happened to you? I mean, how do you, how do you sort of approach creativity right now? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I think I've noticed, you know, throughout my my own life as like a creative entity, like I've certainly, uh, I feel like, I feel like my role right now isn't to kind of communicate joy or like energy or, uh, um, you know, enthusiasm through, through my work, which sounds really negative, but like, I, I just don't, um, I feel, I feel like I would be I would be disingenuous if, if if I was making music that was light or or playful. Um, I think you can still make stuff that's interesting and has a lot of ideas, but like it, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm also a middle aged man now at this point, so like I think naturally your your you know once worldview becomes a little bit more nuanced. Like you, you know, once you've been around the block a few times, you've you've kind of seen good situations you've seen bad situations um you know you're not always that invested in like thinking of uh it's not important to kind of project this idea of pos positivity i suppose so yeah i don't know i mean i think playing in algiers as well has kind of influenced me a little bit like the you know music tastes of my fellow band members are kind of they're more refined maybe than than people i used to play music with and um and there are, you know, there are definitely some darker textures there in, in, in the world of Algiers that I've probably taken on board somehow. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, I'm kind of making a lot of electronic sort of stuff at home now just because I can't really play. Um, I don't really have a setup where I can play drums or like play loud guitar in my house. So I'm, I'm just like doing a lot of synth stuff in it. Uh, the patches I'm making tend to be quite thick and, and dark sounding and that sort of influenced the music I've been writing. Well, I mean, just, you know, to kind of circle back to, to Algier. Um, you guys, I remember I saw you when you when you played in, when you played in uh, Freud's in Pool uh, back in 2019, I believe. It was in- Yeah, August. it was last summer, wasn't it? Yeah, middle August, um, long before, you know, we had any sort of indication that world's gonna, world, the world's gonna be on fire or anything like that. <laughs> right. Um, it, it felt very, because I've never seen you up until, you know, that, that particular gig. Um, right. I, I truly, and like, this isn't just because I'm talking to you right now or anything like that. I truly experienced a certain type of epiphany when I saw you guys, because it, it felt oh. very, it felt very different than, you know, the, the recordings. It felt very sort of in the moment kind of. And right. uh, you, that, that sort of darker textures kind of give this, you know, give wind to this post sound kind of idea that I think you guys are, you know, the perfect embodiment of current, oh, just, in a, just in a sort of kind of soundy type way. Um, right. but have, you, have you experienced any sort of kind of, not, you know, to, to back away from music a little bit, um, any sort of, um, I don't know, kind of philosophical slash life changes ever since you started playing with Algiers? How do you sort of, you know, compare the Matt, Matt Tong pre-Algiers and yourself right now? Oh, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to think about that. I mean, you know, at the point at which I joined the band, I wasn't necessarily looking to have that kind of experience i was pretty burned out by the time i i quit blog party and um and because that whole like whirlwind occupied most of my 20s i, I felt like i was trying to play catch up to an extent and you know not to be kind of corny or like kind of uh you know cliche but i think i was trying to just experience my life or figure out what my life was supposed to be um and i i really felt like that probably involved not being on tour for nine months of the year so i, I wasn't really looking to play music again but um yeah it's just as you know my one of my best friends uh, tom morris was working on on their first record and uh he'd sent me a few of the rough mixes you know prior to the the record coming out and was like oh you should, you should check this band out it's really interesting um you know i'm quite excited to be working on this and I had I personally hadn't really heard anything quite like that, and like particularly the way the way in which Frank's Frank's singing kind of related to the rest of the music was really interesting to me. So I, I did when the opportunity to actually play drums with them came up. I, I I definitely wanted to meet them, and I was definitely aware then, having kind of you know looked at a bit of their online stuff and um, thought more about their philosophy and their motivations for making music I, I i also kind of realized it will stop there was a certain amount of convergence with my own um my own political outlook anyway and um uh you know i feel like i was slowly kind of becoming a little bit radicalized up until that point anyway and it's just this weird kind of um 
it's this weird coincidence where the, the, this very specific band kind of just seemed to line up with where I felt like I was heading intellectually anyway. So um, I think then, you know, getting to know, you know, frankly, and Ryan, you know, a lot more through, you know, touring with them for five years, it certainly helped me to coalesce, you know, help some of my ideas about the world to coalesce. And um, also made me think a lot more about how my experience wasn't necessarily that common. My experience didn't have as that much in common with them because of where they grew up as well. You know, like I think, although I've been in the US for 10 years, I live in the Northeast and it's very different from the South and it's very different from, from Georgia. And if anything, like, you know, the more the the northeastern mentality in the U.S. is a little bit more akin to how people kind of think and interact with each other back in the U.K. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's definitely changed me. But I think uh, by the same token, I was looking to maybe unconsciously I was looking to have something to help force the issue in, in my life as well. Yeah, obviously. I mean, people that you surround yourself with, be it professionally or, you know, in a, in a non-professional light, it, they certainly, <laughs> whether we like it or not, they have, you know, they influence us greatly um, when, you, when you sort of add everything up and, and together and this and that. Um, but sort of, okay, so walk me through this. You, you leave Block Party and I believe if um, I'm, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but um, you were... In you, you made an appearance on, on the Trapped podcast a while back, and that's uh, right. Yeah, Trapped. And, and you mentioned something about you being. I mean, you mentioned this. You briefly touched upon this before when we when we when we uh, talked. Um, you, you felt burned out, and was there a certain kind of like point, you know, before joining Algiers, that you sort of swore off music for the time being or just playing you know in a band with other people and i mean i was kind of like you know i, I was tooling around with various things i mean i was you know I, I was kind of recording my own music kind of piecemeal in, in in my my old house and where i had a bit more of a kind of recording set up but I didn't have any aspirations for it. I mean, I certainly wasn't going to try and form a band and like try and promote my own music. And like, there's a reason I keep ending up playing. I do a bit of everything, but there's a reason I'm, I'm always playing drums in a band is because I don't have, I'm not a great leader and I'm, I'm not very good at directing other people. And I, I'm much more comfortable on stage sat behind a drum kit and, you know, helping to elevate the experience, you know, from, from that position. But, um, yeah, it was definitely. I mean, I would be sad if I never got to do music again. That's that's for sure. You know, it's 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 something that's been a part of my life for you know thirty five years now. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly I wasn't really interested in being an, an active member of the music industry, and I was you know toying with the idea of going back to university to train as a music therapist at the point at which I joined the band. But I don't know. I. I don't don't know what it was. It just seemed like a, a, a perfect. Uh, it just seemed like a, a really good opportunity to maybe uh, undo some of the the anger and resentment I felt about you know what it was to be a, a musician in a band and actually learn about uh, 
the nature of collaboration with a different group of people who, who are coming at music from a completely different perspective, I guess, and you know, channeling a different set of experiences. So I hadn't sworn off music entirely, but I was I was a little bit reluctant to kind of get too involved, for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the key kind of aspects, at least from a, from a listener's perspective, of um, just the whole kind of aesthetic, I mean, the, the, the term isn't really spot on, but kind of like the, the aesthetic of Algiers is the fact that you guys are very keen on, on breaking um, all sorts of barriers, be it, you know, kind of just musical barriers in terms of genre or any sort of kind of drawers you may be placed in or this and that. How, I mean, being a musician that, especially right now with Algiers, I'm sure that was the case with Block Party as well, but um, you're touring all over the globe, literally, um, you know, when, when it's not the time for, for, you know, slowing yourself down because the virus might kill you. Um, right. How do you, how do you, I mean, that's also kind of the, the big kind of question that I, that I try to discuss with as many different people as possible. Um, how do you look at language and kind of the, the cultural aspect of it in a sense do you do you find um breaking language barriers exhausting or do you find it kind of sort of fun and you know a, a challenge to be overcome oh, yeah i mean hmm, that's a good question i can't speak to the others in the band or i can't speak to the experience of anyone i play music with on tour um but for me personally, I always carry a certain amount of guilt that uh, I grew up in an Anglophone country and that, you know, at least as far as pop music goes, Anglophone music kind of dominates, uh, it dominates in the West, you know, it dominates in, in Europe. And I, I always feel a certain amount of guilt about, you know, going to France or, you know, Croatia or wherever the Ukraine and expecting people to like fully engage with the music because English isn't the first language, you know? Um, but I think, you know, at least in Algiers, I think our approach is just to, you know, perform in good faith. Like people, you just hope that whoever ends up coming to the show, like is interested in seeing you because there's something about the music that speaks to them and that, you know, it doesn't really matter if everyone gets what it is we're singing about or, you know, whatever it's, it's, we're, we're still trying to represent our recorded music in a, in a communal format. And it's really about bringing sounds kind of really corny, but it, it is about bringing people together and, and like giving people the opportunity to be around each other and like be bathed in this, this noise, you know, and I think it's one of the saddest thing about the pandemic is that communal experiences are completely sidelined now and people can't, you know, they can't get together and, and just have that that release of either going to a sporting event or going to, you know, a religious service or, you know, going to a concert or whatever people like to do in large groups to, to be around each other. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're talking about like the practicalities of like day to day, like just dealing with being on tour in like uh, countries where English isn't the first language, you know, we <laughs> we try and get by. Uh, our tour manager slash percussionist Tristan is uh, lived in Germany, so he he speaks fluent German. Frank Frank speaks fluent French, so it feels like two of the main places we would play. You know, we've kind of got that covered, and um, you know. 
and other places like fortunately for the most part people are extremely gracious and like kind enough to accept the fact that we don't speak the language <laughs> well yeah i mean that's not really an issue anymore when it comes at least i don't know how things are elsewhere but at least when it comes to europe i don't think yeah. we are sort of very malleable and adaptable in this sense that we yeah absolutely yeah, I, I think, don't, again, don't quote me on this, but I believe that I saw an interesting piece, piece of data that like at least 85% of the Balkans speak English fluently as their second language. Right. Very, very kind of, wow. Because my parents don't really, they don't, I mean, they understand some English, but they're not kind of fluent. And their generation was very... Um, you know, partially because Yugoslavia was, you know, built on the foundation of like bringing the Balkans together. They right. didn't really have much business to do outside of, you know, the, the, the Balkan region. Yeah, but, I totally get that. I, I totally get how history like forms that as, you know, it, it being a generational thing. I think probably the internet has also kind of changed people's like uh, facts, you know. Yeah. It's brought people together in a way, you know, people who would never ever, you know, normally meet. And like, it's just, it just so happens that so many people speak English, it just becomes like a common language, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And imagine how many, you know, just, just in, in what sort of extent would, um, would we actually achieve? I mean, this certainly sounds corny and blandish, but to what extent would we actually achieve world peace on so many levels if there was just kind of like a one unique language that we all you know kind of like a global language that we would all just speak and converse in that sort of way but i mean kind of what i found is that because we have this sort of at least that's what you know goes on in 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 the kind of the balkan brain as someone referred to it um we we have this sort of very very kind of closed-minded idea that we are supposed to have much more in common you know with other Croatian folk or Serbian folk or whatever, then we would, you know, from, for instance, someone that's from the US or the UK or France or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. I, I personally don't, I mean, being an outgoing, generally outgoing kind of extrovert person at times, I really don't feel like language is a barrier. I, I actually kind of, I, I find it funny that sometimes, for instance, I, I, I was kind of, kind of like a funny story. Um, once I, I was for, for a brief period of time, I was, you know, involved with someone from, from the States. And um, at some point I came home from, I don't know what I was doing. I was, was I taking a walk or playing basketball with someone, whatever. I came back home and instead of saying, what was it? Couch potato. I, I, I said something along the lines like couch tomato or you know, <laughs> this is something very, very mundane, but, ridiculous nonetheless and i remember i was just having a, a really good laugh about it and you know because when i i feel like if we're going to be a global generation going forward we should you know exploit that as much as possible just you know take all the all the good that comes from it and learn from different experiences and just people in general I feel that's a that's a great thing currently, you know, in, in this current climate. I don't know, the pandemic kind of slowed us down, but I hope that at some point we're going to, you know, be less of a funky kind of world. I don't know. 
just the problem is now though it isn't necessarily whether we speak the same language or not it's it's actually it's far, far more to do with a, a problem the problem's far more to do with uh you know individuals ability to process information and analyze uh what's presented in front of them you know and actually um I don't know how much language or common language can really counter the, you know, the problem of, you know, fake news and conspiracy theories and, and people who uh, are presented with the facts but completely cho choose to ignore them. You know, that, that, that's really the, the new contested space, I think. Yeah, I believe we're, I mean, you know, technology going forward is, it's certainly fixed our society in this very weird kind of almost unnoticeable again you know generational kind of way but it's sort of also brought up a generation of people that are very susceptible to kind of fragile information that doesn't really do any good right now I mean, I was actually talking to someone about this the other day it's impossible like you know back in the day you would go into a library and just to put it bluntly, you go into a library and, you know, go through thousands of books and try to differentiate what was going on. But I believe that right now it is much difficult, you know, with the internet and this and that, it is much more difficult to actually take, you know, take notice of, of, of real checked up information just because there's we're being bombarded with different stuff constantly and uh, yeah. you know in the middle of this chaos i don't think it's possible to to, to function normally any sort of normalcy it's very it's a, it's a strange set of ideas and values and you know just generally our outlook of, of the world has changed and shifted drastically during the, the last decade or too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I feel like media literacy is something that needs should be compulsorily, uh, you know, be taught as uh, compulsor, 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 lower. I, I can't pronounce words sometimes, you know. Uh, but media literacy should be taught. At, um, it should be standard ed education, I think, for, uh, for young people moving forwards. Definitely. I mean, we, we had that in school, I think. I, I think we did. No, I'm not sure really, because it didn't, it, it wasn't taught in a, in a way in which is kind of, you know, if you have media literacy is a, is a, is a great sort of tool that should be mandatory and you yeah. know, people should be, be, be taught that in, in, in school in some way or another, but you should also have set it up in a way that has like competent people teaching media literacy. You know, yeah. in order for it to have any sort of effect on absolutely the brain, it's just very. I don't know. I feel like we're dealing with uh, with uh, with a climate that cherishes cherishes mediocrity, and I feel like we we don't really present youngsters with the ability to fall in love with learning, just generally. Kind of, I feel it's very. I, I don't know. I don't know where I, I worry because you know particularly in the US things have become so data driven as well and um I, I kind of feel like the metrics of success are quite different from 
how how they were measured when when I was a young person at school learning things. I mean, obviously, I was educated in a completely different country as well, but it it is worrying that like the focus is shifting a lot more to kind of ticking certain boxes and actually uh, valuing that over you know giving people the tools to adequately analyze and reflect on on information and you know and ideas i guess yeah yeah and it just pains me to see that kind of the i mean it's not like we're doing just speaking from a kind of like a global standpoint we we don't seem to value just education in, 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 the, in the, mo the most kind of benign sense possible. Like it, it just feels like we lost and, you know, seeing as the flat earth movement is on the rise, the anti-COVID people are all around us and this and that. The, I mean, the flat earth thing's ridiculous. I mean, I think it just started as a joke, but people like, you know, the number of like, Premier League footballers are, I think, beginning to espouse these ideas now just because they just they don't do anything like when they finish training. They just sit around watching YouTube and it, the fucking algorithm just starts cycling this stuff. It's like, they're like, what? <laughs> the world, the, the earth is flat? And yeah, for fuck's sake. Like, it feels like a very badly executed meme that became a real thing at some point. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's very strange to, to just stand by and witness this mayhem of whatever i mean uh, i think we haven't adequately addressed what it is to kind of be you know the rapid shift towards a more secular society in certain parts of the world you know and i think when you're no longer thinking about god or the nature of god or whatever that is for you know, you know whatever however that is appropriate to your particular culture or certain beliefs um like I guess when you're done, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating for like uh, organized religion at all, but like, I think we haven't addressed what, how, how to deal with the lack of that now, you know, and, and people just want to fucking believe something. I don't know why that's important. I don't fucking believe in anything. I don't give a shit. I'm a nihilist. <laughs> yeah. I believe you said this on the, on the trap podcast as well. And this is a really interesting <laughs> idea. <laughs> Um, you, you, you mentioned. I probably. I mean, I was in LA. I probably had heat stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you mentioned something about you not being. What, what was it? Um, you mentioned something about you not being afraid to be unhappy. That, oh, it really resonated with me. I, I felt like, wow, it was put so so beautifully and so like. Oh, thanks. I don't know. It was just so easy to digest. Like, this is it. This is how the majority of the world is feeling right now, in a sense. I that think, you know, I think to expand on that for you know, I, I, I certainly still subscribe. I mean, I should clarify: feeling unhappy isn't great. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's something that should be celebrated. And, and you know, and I'd certainly have bouts of I go through bouts of depression but it's you know by no means as serious as some friends are you know I have some friends who really have to struggle with that and like, it's a horrible feeling and I, I don't mean to kind of belittle or kind of take away the the actual the real repercussions of feeling like shit and like you have no hope and and, and whatnot but like I think there are definitely some people and I include myself in this but who sometimes just feel 
and you know to politicize a thought like i think you know one of the you know one awful like problem with, with capitalism and, and the way in which particularly you know at least within the culture industry the way capitalism tries to sell things to young people that there's you know increasingly so now that there's this level of aspiration that's espoused in in music and, and art the um and this pressure to actually be happy or to actually center your happiness on like very specific material goals that, that makes people feel fucking insane. And really, when I say it's all right to be unhappy, I'm also saying it's all right to reject like, you know, some of these goals. It's all right to not have what you're being told you're supposed to have. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here having had a fairly, you know, moderate you know, moderately successful career as a musician. And like, sometimes I catch myself thinking, God, but it could have been so much more, you know, block party could have been like so much more and it, and it wasn't. And it's like, it's, I have to kick myself. Something. I'm like, it's fucking crazy to like, I, you know, to even have gotten this far I, I, it is so beyond my, my, you know, the scope of my teenage imagination. I'm, 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 I'm very lucky, you know, and it's like, I'm like fucking hell. It's like, I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm manifesting like the signal, signaling the messaging that we, that we all get um, to, to actually show something for, for all the time that we, we've put into whatever endeavor. And uh, yeah, I, I think to, to not be fearful of, of being unhappy is also to not be fearful of showing that, you know, life can be life can be really mundane and you know it, it doesn't always match up to our expectations it, it's all right to be disappointed you know it, yeah. i guess it's what you do with that moving forwards or you know how, how do you find that what's like a true and like real way of finding a sense of self-worth you know is it is it through really fostering your your friendships or you know like really working on your family life or you know you know how, how do we find like a sense of satisfaction beyond like kind of uh you know finding a fucking yacht to like take a really good selfie on <laughs> you know what i mean it's like well, i knew the game was up man i knew the game was up about uh about four and a half maybe five years ago it was just before the 2016 election and i i you know this is back when i used to use facebook and i, I was just happened to be watching a video of someone on a bmx bike and i guess he and his friends spotted a lamborghini parked outside a restaurant i think in seattle and he rode his bike up and you know it was one of these modern sports cars that has very kind of shallow rake so he at the front so he just used the, this car as a ramp and he, he rode up to it jumped on the car and then jumped off the roof i was like oh that's quite funny you know and then i I read the comments and I was like, what the fuck? And it was just like regular people who were like, I can't fucking believe this, this vandal, this hooligan, like, look what he did to this beautiful sports car, you know? And they were all like sympathizing or they all like, um, all these people really to a man, they were, they, they were all uh, projecting themselves as the owners of this vehicle. And I was like, oh man, this is pretty fucked. This is, this is, this is like a level of aspiration that's gone way out of control, you know, like, 
And let me guess, I, as I, soon as you saw that, you decided to, to say goodbye to Facebook and you deactivated your account right away and was like, yo, I'm not doing this again. No, I, I, saw, I saw my Lamborghini. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, you know, if you weren't exactly kind of like the, the Dave Grohl type of guy that you could just, you know, walk up a street and buy a freaking house from the immense block party money. But, you know, it was something. <laughs> At least, Lamborghini. I wish. <laughs> yeah. So, do you keep in touch with the guys from Block Party, or are you on? And what? Time uh, you- I'm still. Uh, I mean, you know, Gordon is. I consider Gordon to be a very close friend of mine, and you know, he, of course, left the band at a similar time to to to, to when I did. But that's not why we're still friends. I mean, you know, we we have a lot in common, like our, our tastes and our, I think our our political viewpoints are quite similar and, you know, we have had this shared experience for almost 10 years, you know, that no one can take away from us. Um, I mean, I hear from Russell from time to time, but like, not really in the, I haven't made a, you know, I haven't made a conscious decision not to be in contact with Russell. It's just, I think we've kind of fallen out of touch uh, a bit. And when he, he doesn't live in London anymore, he lives kind of in the suburbs. And so it's, and he has a young family. So, I'm very rarely in London long enough to actually see everyone I want to see. But yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly, I think if I, if I'm ever back there again on tour and I had the time, I'd certainly try and reach out to him. It would be good to catch up with Russell. Um, Kelly, I haven't really heard from since I quit the band, but you know, uh, thing, things weren't quite, uh, you know, things weren't so rosy between the two of us by that point, I, I would say, but you know, it is what it is. I don't, you know, it, it, sometimes that's just the way things end. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel particularly sad about that. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I choose and I prefer to think of myself as having been incredibly fortunate to have met those guys when I did, you know, and, you know, if we're talking about Kelly, like, um, if it were, if it wasn't for his, um, if it wasn't for his desire to actually make the band work, then I wouldn't be sit, sitting here now talking to you, you know, that, that, and that, that, that's an unshakable fact of, of, of the, you know, of, of, of block party, you know, if, if the, the band would not have happened if it wasn't for his, his hunger and, you know, his, his ambition. And yeah. that, that, that's really important to honor and acknowledge regardless of how things turned out. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember when I was, I was really, I mean, um, Southern Alarm, I think, had just came out. That was back in 05, if I'm not mistaken, right? And um, it came, Yeah, it came out in uh, February 2005. Yeah, so, so my dad used to, as soon as it came out, it got, you know, circled around Europe, this and that. And as soon as we got a hold of it, um, on a kind of national level, um, my dad bought the, the CD from a local music shop. And, you know, every single morning when, when we used to kind of, you know, drive to school and this and that, he, he would always play Silent Alarm in its entirety if there was... Oh, so your, your dad got you into Block Party. That, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not necessarily. I mean, it was just kind of like this very... You, you guys... Kind of happened at the right time because it was just kind of this red poppy kind of you know generational shift happening on a, on a global sure. level, and you 
you know, sort of waved goodbye to the to the oldsters and said hello to, you know, people like me who just sort of had something to identify with at right, a very right. age. That's, I mean, that, that music is always going to sound familiar to me. And even though we, you know, haven't formally met yet, I feel like I certainly share this sort of experience kind of just knowing that that's you on the drums back there. And it just... Right. You know, it's it's very your your sort of presence of all of you. I mean, if we at some point would you know meet up in London with the other guys, I feel like we would have you know achieved a, some some manner of connection just because you guys were there from the very beginning, kind of in, in, in this very. Oh, hold on, man! I'm running out of battery here, um, and like oh. it makes my zoom. Run. Oh, here's my charger, so I'm gonna just plug back in. Sorry, finish your thought. Sure, sure. Okay, uh, that's that's okay. Um, but yeah, it just feels like I, I it feels like I know you guys, even though we've never actually met, just because that music was very honest and that music was very. I don't know. It just felt like ripping bones in, in, in the most kind of literal sense. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think it's really important on both sides of the, you know, both sides of the equation to, to honor that as well, you know, like, um, even though the industry tries to force you to live in a bubble just through the, the sheer demands of, you know, constant touring and whatever, but like, it's important to acknowledge that as a musician or an artist, you, you're not, you're like, you're trying to reflect the world around you, of course, and, you know, um, it, hopefully you know the goal is to have an interaction with a person such as yourself who, who kind of does feel like they relate to who you are or why it is you, you you made the the music that you made in the first place you know it's it's super important um you know that's i think that's one of the tragedies not the tragedy one of the side effects of like constant touring is that, that quite often you, you just when you're in a band or whatever, you, you just don't have the social energy to actually seek out that connection because, you know, it, you, you're really tired from having to deal with yourself and then deal with like your fellow bandmates and everybody else that you, you know, the people you see every day who in a different place who you may never ever meet again, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's a shame. And then you, you become, I feel like when you're not able to take the time off in between tours or records to actually go about your day-to-day your -day business, it becomes harder and harder to actually make music that, you know, reflects, reflects something that, that is, uh, you know, honest, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just before I let you go, um, um, feel free to cut me off if you feel like you don't want to discuss it just yet. Um, a while ago, you hinted via Instagram that you were halfway through a record of some sort oh yeah is that anything solo or you just it's just me um i'm uh i'm really taking my sweet time over it i've i've, I've just started i want it to be about 10 songs long and I'm, i've just started the eighth song um and yeah really what i i said to myself when the lockdown started was uh i haven't I've got, you know, I was, and this is the same for everyone else in Algiers, you know, like I think I've had this experience before for them. They've, this is the first time they've had to deal with any of this, this kind of, you know, 
this ennui or this existential kind of like, you know, crisis that comes with having just to continually tour. And, I, you know, I, I feel like I've, I haven't really learned anything in the last kind of three or four years of, of playing the band. And uh, that's, that's, that's not the fault of anyone in the band at all, but it, it is kind of a, a knock-on effect of having to kind of just continually grind, you know. And I think what I, I said to myself uh, at the start of lockdown was, well, I don't know when I'm going to go back on the road again. And like, as a musician, I'm, I still have a vested interest in improving or like expanding my knowledge of how music works. And, you know, I accept that I'm mainly known for playing drums in bands and that that's fine but uh you know i can't really you know i don't really have a huge amount of access to a rehearsal space right now and i, I was just like well you know it would be fun to like focus more on songwriting again and actually you know learn more about how electronic music works and you know how synthesis works and 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 all of that stuff so really i just set out trying to make something that would be considered a record just for fun as, and as a, like a learning exercise, but I mean, I'll certainly when it's done, I'll, I'll put it out there for sure. Um, oh, that's cool. So I haven't really. I'm not very good at social media, and I'm not very. I'm 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 really reluctant at like self-publicizing stuff. I'm, I'm you know to a, to the point that it's like very annoying for other people around me. But um, I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try and make a video. I'll try and you know get it out there, but. And that I'm 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 fine with that, but um, I'm hoping it will be. I'm hoping I'll have finished actually recording everything by late January. That's that's my goal. Um, but yeah, it's, it just it, it takes me a long time to do anything. I, I'm just like a very um, I work very slowly. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both. I mean, you know, Ryan already got his record out. He did that pretty quick, and I know Frank is kind of written a lot of new Algiers music apparently I haven't heard it yet and you know Lee helped Ryan with his record and he and Ryan and uh, uh, another friend of theirs have this Mondo Decay record coming out pretty soon as well so you know they, they've been very very creative and like very focused on on their stuff but yeah it always takes me a little bit longer to get to get to bring ideas through to fruition but I've, I've definitely learned a lot and i i'm actually surprised by how much i have kind of taken on board I, I thought maybe i was a little bit too old and a little bit too set my ways to kind of um you know to broaden my skill set but uh you know things i should have known or understood 15 years ago have finally clicked for me and uh you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that yeah, that's it. Certainly feels great when things fall into place, despite you know the the chaos that we're in right now. That's amazing. Um, so I mean, thank you for coming on. Certainly, this was a really great chat that we had. And oh, absolutely. Thank yeah. Thanks for your time as well. Yeah, it was good to actually get to speak to you in person. Yeah, at some point, I certainly feel like we're bound to run into each other somewhere. I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, we'll see. I, I'm hoping for the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows Who knows how long it will take to actually roll that out properly. I mean, you know, I, uh, a lot of booking agents and promoters are kind of hopeful that things will start up by, next, you know, the festival season next summer. I'm not entirely sure if that's going to kind of happen, but I... I'd be surprised if we weren't back on the road by this time next year. 
and you know we we do have tentative plans to be in the be in your neck of the woods i think you know next yep. winter so uh hopefully we can hang out then hopefully yeah i'm, I'm gonna place all my eggs in that basket for now yeah <laughs> me, me, me me neither but <laughs> we'll see we'll see um anyway thank you really for coming on thank you for taking the time to you know talk to me like this and i really feel like you know meeting your kind of childhood heroes that's always a great deal of fun oh <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah and i wish you nothing but you know nothing but happiness nothing but you know kind of handled sadness <laughs> yeah that's it take care all right all the best mate yeah